If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's a hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's a hot time. We had a hot time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. I want to give a quick nod and send virtual hugs to my two newest podcast patrons. Jim Coe and Katie Manoff, thank you. Thank you so much for supporting my efforts to share smart and open dialogue about truth, wellness, and plant medicine. And this week, we're getting in the weeds on misinformation and seeking the truth. Cannabis prohibition, it did a real number on both baby boomers and Gen Xers like me. And though we're nearing the end of cannabis prohibition, the journey to ending cannabis misinformation is far from over. So I invited Ilana Goldberg to join me for a chat about truth and sourcing accurate information. Ilana is CEO of The Canigma a website taking an evidence-based approach to every issue surrounding cannabis, from safety to cooking to medical research, providing digestible information that you can use. Ilana got her start as a writer at the Jerusalem Post before becoming the managing editor. She has 15 years of experience in digital publishing and online content, spanning journalism, nonprofit, and the private sector. 
Ilana excels at building and educating online audiences, crafting clear messages, and developing industry experts into successful writers. She is passionate about the Kenigma's mission to make credible and science-backed cannabis information accessible to those who need it. Amen, sister. In the digital age, it's become increasingly difficult to sift fact from fiction. So it's uber critical to sharpen those skills of awareness and develop media literacy. But before we dive in, a word from our sponsor, MJ Relief, the muscle rub PhD formulated for what aches and pains you. And this week, we'll hear Melody's story of relief. She and her husband own a construction company, so Melody finds herself wearing a hard hat along with many other hats of a business owner. Hey, I have incorporated MJ Relief into my nightly routine. It helps me with my shoulder pains and my lower back pains. I do office work and then sometimes in field work, and it just helps relax those muscles and helps me rest. So I'm very thankful to have it and use it on a daily basis. If you're having any of those aches and pains, I would highly suggest trying it out. It works great and helps me rest well. If you're feeling Melody's pain and want some muscle and joint relief of your own, head over to mjskinrelief.com and order a tube for you and another one for someone you love. That's mjskinrelief.com. And if you're already a fan of MJ Relief, please send a video or voice memo like Melody and let me share your story of relief on the podcast. If you're more of a writer versus a talker, I get it. Head over to mjskinrelief.com and leave a written review on the site. And tag at mjskinrelief if you're a social butterfly. The Sustainability Roll-Up is presented by OCB Rolling Papers. In perfect harmony with natural, sustainable practices, it's always been the OCB signature to provide the highest quality, responsibly sourced, and sustainably crafted rolling papers. We're talking misinformation today, but disinformation, deliberately misleading information designed, presented, and promoted to intentionally cause public harm or for profit. That, my friend, is the 800-pound gorilla. I'll start by saying that in 1998, I was a wide-eyed graduate with a mass communications and broadcast journalism degree, wanting nothing more than to go out into the world and become the next Barbara Walters. (laughs) Unfortunately for all of us, Journalism wasn't safeguarded to maintain diversity of voice and objectivity. And the media and brand consolidation that's occurred during my almost 30 years in media and marketing has provided the illusion of choice to consumers for decades. In reality, six media giants control about 90% of what we read, watch, and listen to. It's no wonder that today there are over 2 million podcasts, with a new one being created every 30 seconds. These independent voices like mine are tiny but mighty in creating small pockets of communities where nuanced or fringe ideas can be explored without censorship. To tie this thought to sustainability, imagine, if you will, 
that mainstream media is like six giant monocrop farms whose interests and goals aren't focused on growing something healthy for the well-being of your family. Now imagine the independent or nonprofit news orgs or podcasts. They're the scrappy small farms trying to build community and support their way of life doing what they love, feeding their family, friends, and neighbors, and honoring Mother Earth. In order to sustain freedom of speech and freedom of the press, it's time to wake up the consumption zombies in your life. We've all got friends or family that spend more time with their face buried in a screen than they do engaging with us in civil discourse or exploring nature. Whether it be gaming, streaming, surfing, VR, or mainvaining political news, it's all too easy to develop a warped sense of reality and become a consumption zombie. In order to sustain a healthy lifestyle, it's up to each of us to diligently control our inputs, just like regenerative farmers do building healthy soil. To positively dial in your life experience, might I suggest pontificating on the following. Consider geographically where you live the media you consume, and how much of it you're consuming in a day, the type of work you do and how you feel doing it, what activities you do to unwind, the people you spend the most time with, and your relationship with the natural world. The way I see it, getting curious, asking more questions, and actively investigating what you discover, that's always a great path to understanding anything. And when it comes to your cannabis experience, I encourage you to be as choosy about your rolling papers as you are with your flower selection. I choose OCB rolling papers because they're plant to puff and made in a facility that's powered by 100% green energy. Unlike most other brands that buy their paper from a third-party source, OCB oversees the entire papermaking process, ensuring a century of quality straight to your hands. You'll find no GMOs, no chlorine, and no dyes in OCB papers. Of course, you must be 21 and older to buy OCB rolling papers and to follow the natural wonders of OCB on social. At OCB underscore USA. And for you grown-up joint-rolling novices, I invite you to learn the craft alongside me. Catch the Roll With Me video series live streaming on the Casually Baked YouTube channel with replays on the WeedTube and IGTV. If you haven't bought your rolling supplies yet, visit ocbusa.com backslash baked to get four booklets of OCB and a rolling tray for only $4.99. This bundle is worth 20 bucks and is around for a limited time. But the rolling skills and street cred we're going to earn together, my friend, makes this bundle priceless. As for you OGs who can roll a joint that doubles as a bowl, if you don't know what that means, Google it. I challenge you to sample the entire line of OCB products and let me know your favorite. Ask for OCB wherever you buy your papers. You'll find links to the OCB special offer and roll with me in the podcast show notes at casuallybaked.com. Ilana and I discuss prohibition, cannabis research, and a new cannabis classification system. 
We explore the power of story, the importance of finding credible sources, and how to detect misinformation. We also share life mastery skills that will serve you well in the digital age. So smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. We are live with Ilana Goldberg on Casually Baked, the podcast. Ilana, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jay. And I'm having a mid-morning sesh with you, and I know it is late in the day for you. You are an Australian based in Israel. I'm assuming you're home in Israel right now. I am indeed, yeah. All right. In my home office. There you go. So um, the Canigma is a cannabis educational website with a mission to end misinformation. And we're in the middle of a shit show of misinformation. So I thought it would be really exciting to talk about this with you. Talk about the misinformation of cannabis, the history of cannabis, but then also maybe some ways that we can spot misinformation in our current situations, things that we're curiously observing and trying to filter for truth. So where do you think the best place to dive in might be, Ilana? Yeah, I guess the beginning. Should we start at the beginning? Four score and seven years ago, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's go for it. It's even further <laughs> I mean, back than that. Yeah, I think we can go back a few thousand years. I don't yeah. think we need to stay there for too long, but we can go a few <laughs> thousand years back. Um, so basically the way I see it is like this. So the last 100 years when it comes to cannabis is a really, really weird time in history. Um, because before that, thousands of years, uh, cannabis was used pretty widely um, for a whole lot of different purposes, definitely medical purposes, spiritual purposes, um, there is some kind of uh, some evidence about what we would call recreational use um, or, or adult use, as we've decided to coin it recently in uh, in history. And then uh, prohibition started. Um, so without going on and, and like telling a bit of history lesson, because I'm sure you and most of your your readers already know this sad story, readers, listeners <laughs> um, already know this sad story. So without going into all of that, basically that's the point. Like a hundred years ago where cannabis became illegal, kind of an anomaly in, in human history when it comes to cannabis. And so this is really, I think, when the misinformation started. And one of the main things, one of the main kind of catalysts for that was um, that research didn't start. Um, so if you look at other substances during this period, this is where scientific research really started to pick up during the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, but because it was a controlled substance and seemed to have no medicinal, medicinal value, that's a really important point here, that it was scheduled one, still is, depending on where you are. And that means that during all of this time where we should have, as humanity, been learning more and more about cannabis, we just weren't. There was some research going on, actually some really interesting research here in Israel from the 60s, but very limited and anything going on in the United States was also either non-existent or based on a very small selection um, of different types of cannabis, different chemicals um, that, that are grown by the US government. Um, and so what we know about cannabis is super limited. So that like, obviously this started to change recently. Well, yeah. let me just add into that because you said this is when the misinformation started. It almost feels like, though, it was a misinformation campaign that started. Mm. And so when you put that 
term behind it. It's not just like people were accidentally sharing bad information. It was, okay, we need to control these people, this substance, this thing. And so a campaign of misinformation happened, which I think is what really gives it power. Yeah, definitely. And a campaign of misinformation based largely on racism in the United States. And I think in, and this is probably something that I'm guessing you and I could spend an hour talking on alone, on this kind of um, prejudice against exploring different types of consciousness. Um, and I think that's something that's like continued very strongly today. Mm -hmm. um, just against like getting high and trying out different things that your mind can do, um, that the human mind can do. Well, and um, also and a lot of actual drugs that calcify your pineal gland, which then makes your desire or curiosity to explore these things and just numbs it, voids it, so to speak. So it's not even just yeah, right. not exploring it. It's trying to inhibit the exploration. Right, in a chemical way. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. So I guess that kind of like all comes together, right? So it's like the prohibition itself, which I think like to me, when you look at prohibition, that whole campaign that you're talking about is included in there. And then there's like the opportunity cost um, of prohibition. And I think we think about prohibition as like, okay, there was no legal access or, you know, there is no legal access, again, depending on where you're, where you're living. But it's not just about access to the plant. It's just about access to information. And, and that's a lot of what we're, I mean, that's pretty much the whole bit of what we're trying to do at the Kenigma um, today is to, is to kind of like close that information gap. Now, part of that is, is correcting misinformation, uh, which I want us to talk more about for sure. And part of it is just filling in a, a, a dearth of information, a lack of information. Mm -hmm. um, so we started to talk about the research before. A lot of what we find when we're kind of putting these stories together is that sometimes we have the answers and sometimes, the, and when I say the answers, I mean fact-based answers. So either it's from clinical research or anecdotal evidence is, is a huge part um, of what we know and that's fine. It obviously needs to be contextualized and it needs to be properly analyzed. Um, but I, I don't believe that we, we need to look at what we know from these like blinkers of only double-blind um, peer-reviewed studies. Um, I, I think there is room for that kind of real-world evidence as well. Um, but what we find when we put this all together is that there is still a lot that we don't know. And so sometimes misinformation is saying, no, we don't actually know the answer to that right now. It's not, the, it, it, it's not I mean, uh, I can give an example of this CNN article um, that I'm sure you read uh, that was published a couple of weeks ago saying um, that uh, teenagers who used cannabis were 50 times more, more uh, likely to have a heart attack. Um, and of course, when we pulled that all apart, we saw that that uh, research was seriously flawed. Um, but the answer when we pulled it all apart was that we don't know for sure what the effects of cannabis are on the heart, but the, that the data that we have certainly doesn't indicate that there is this danger. And I think that's the responsible way to look at this information. Now, let me interject here because I did see that mm -hmm. and I wanted to throw up in my mouth and I didn't dare forward it to anyone, share it like I'm not giving this thing any any sort of momentum on my end. But mm. those are the sorts of things now that I'm like, hmm, can I send this to the Canigma and be like, can y'all tear this article apart? Can you look at this? Because that's what y'all are doing. You're taking information and then you're having it fact-checked by doctors, right? 
Yep, exactly. That's exactly what we did. Um, we wrote it up and then we uh, kind of flicked it over to our scientific advisory board, which at this point, because we were trying to get it up as quick as possible, we wanted to respond as quick as possible. This is all happening in a WhatsApp chat. Um, we got all of the experts to chime in and we put it up. And, like, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's information out there about cannabis which isn't complimentary, but it is accurate, and that's okay. I don't think we're doing the plant any favours by lying or pretending that, you know, it's a panacea, that it can fix anything. I don't believe in that sort of attitude. And sometimes, you know, there's information that comes out which, like, okay, there's, there's, there's downsides to everything. There, there's side everything. effects to anything we put in our bodies. But yes. You know, well, when it's just blatantly bad analysis of science. Yes. We're, we're and, very happy to step in. Well, and a danger to that, too, is we live in an age now where people are bombarded with information. And so they become headline readers. And, you know, they just read mm. that first little paragraph of a story that's teeing it up, take it for fact and move on. And even when some of these major media outlets have to retract and reprint information saying it wasn't actually 70%, it was actually 2%. Well, mm -hmm. that ends up being this tiny little scribble at the bottom. The article gets updated, but the damage has been done. You know, people have now latched onto this information, probably shared it with half the people in their Facebook groups. Why do you think it is that people cling to misinformation? Yeah, well, I guess because it feels familiar to them. That this, this is the stories that they grew up on, and this is something that seems to support the story that they were fed when they were younger, you know, um, or when they were younger, maybe their whole lives. Um, you know, something that I find really interesting, I, 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 I try to be very um, critical of myself um, as, like, you know, we were talking before we went live about, uh, our kind of skills as a journalist and how we use them to navigate the world around us. And I like to check myself as well. And I do find that despite, you know, my work in this industry and that my story with cannabis goes back decades, I still have, you know, some of these stigmas that are stuck in me as well. I find myself thinking like, oh, maybe I really should think about my cannabis consumption. Maybe it's making me a little bit dull. Maybe I should, you know. It's like these things where I'll like stop and like, wait, is this actually based on reality or are these stories that I've just been told in the past that, I, that they were reinforced by such trusted authorities that they, you know, held a lot of weight. And so I think when people cling to misinformation or people spread misinformation, it's because it, it kind of reinforces um, something that's inside them and it feels more comfortable than challenging it. Because I think like, again, I can see this from my own experience, like when we have to do that switch of like, oh, okay, I believe something that wasn't right and now I'm going to change that belief. It's We have to abandon a part of ourselves. We have to say, okay, I was wrong and now I'm going to look at the world in a new way and that's tough. It's like, you know. It's tough. tough. It really is, but it is extremely freeing. You know, mm. one of the things that I learned late teens – you know, as a young girl in college, I had someone tell me everybody has the right to change their mind. Mm. And that like it hit me like a gut punch because of what she we were talking about. But mm -hmm. it became such a pillar of everything that I stand for and how I can be so nonjudgmental talking about something or with someone else or whatever. We learn and we do better. We get more evidence and maybe it doesn't support the line of thinking that we have now. And to be able to step into that and say, you know what? I was wrong and I changed my mind.
that's powerful. And I think that's important to be able to be that example for people that it is okay to change your mind. Yeah, I think it's a very important personal example to be able to set, but it's rare. Pause. I'm struggling to focus on anything but the fact that my neck is on fire right now. And it's my own fault. I told you last week about discovering Dr. Love's CBD. Well, I've learned a thing or two that I feel obligated to share with you in case you've got chronic pain too. For me, that means you hurt all the time and you likely forgot what it feels like not to wake up hurting. The intensity might ebb and flow, but the pain is chronic. If you're like me, you constantly move the goalpost on what quote unquote normal feels like. I've taken CBD and other cannabinoids in various forms every day for quite a number of years. The thing about CBD for me, I've always taken it intentionally and assume it's working without really knowing that it's working if you catch my drift. If you're new to CBD or you want to take a more thorough approach to your condition like me, then the Bloom Complete Programs by Dr. Love CBD, they might be right for you. Each rest, relief, and balance box comes with a two-month supply of CBD plus supplements, a detailed program guide, and a tracking journal. Up until a few months ago, I was a diligent tracker. I tracked my time for work, exercise, and meditation. I journaled, but I didn't really write anything down about my supplements or cannabis consumption. I don't take prescription medications, so I really wasn't concerned with it. Now, I don't know about you, but when life gets extra challenging and hectic, it seems like my organization is the first habit to bail. Consistent self-care is a close second. But over the past couple of months, my bad days were stacking up. So when I received my Dr. Love CBD Bloom Relief Box in the mail, I vowed to go all in on myself and change my reality. Filling out the daily tracking journal became part of my morning meditation routine and my afternoon reefer recap. In one place, I recorded data from my sleep to meditation to diet and exercise and the timing of when I took my Dr. Love CBD relief meds. Tracking the data of my experience forced me to really hone in and listen to my body on a deeper level. It's one thing to listen and observe, which is something I've done consistently for years. But it's next level when you record that information on pain and mobility levels and to describe the pain and pinpoint its location and possible triggers. I'd never gone to this detail in tracking my everyday experience. And I shit you not, by the two-week marker, I woke up feeling physically looser and freer in my body. And when I flipped through the journal, I could see the gradual changes on paper that were happening in my body. I had evidence. Now, confession time. Another wave of chaos crashed over me and I fell off my journaling. And guess what? I started forgetting to take my Dr. Love CBD relief meds. And then guess what happened? You got it. My neck and shoulders locked up again. And here we are. So this is what I know for sure. CBD and CBG are natural tools that work for my chronic pain and inflammation. But consistency is critical. And tracking the data of my experience, it's like holding up a mirror to my whole body wellness. 
When my pain increases, I can see exactly where I fell off the wellness wagon. Don't feed yourself wild stories and misinformation about why things are happening in your body or in your life experience. You owe it to yourself to get curious and write that shit down so you're empowered to improve the quality of your life. Dr. Love CBD offers a variety of doctor-designed CBD formulations, CBD beauty products, and complete monthly wellness programs. All of their products are made in America with the highest quality ingredients and sold at fair prices so more people can have access. And during the month of October, if you use promo code BAKED, you'll receive a huge 20% discount on Dr. Love CBD programs and products. Shop and learn more at drlovecbd.com. That's D-R-L-O-V-E-C-B-D.com. I'll keep walking the walk and sharing the love, and I hope you'll join me. All right. Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. Ilana's waiting for us, so let's get back in there. You know, it's funny I, that you have that line that sticks with you because the one that sticks with me, I was, I was studying a NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, a few years ago. And uh, there are these kind of like core values um, that, that, that the theory holds that if you, can, uh, if you can take on these values, which is a whole journey into itself, like deciding, okay, that's something that I don't believe, but I'm going to start believing it and I'm going to work towards it, then you'll end up, you know, it, be able to have more kind of influence in your life and with the people around you. And, and, and there's this one phrase, which is the person who has the most flexibility has the most power. And it really, like, it stuck with me because it's, it's something that, like, you need to free a part of yourself to be able to believe something like this, you know, um, mm-hmm. to be able to believe that, wow, I have a choice to be whoever or whatever I want to be in any situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a choice. Well, and two, being able to gather the data, the information, and then to just sit in meditation or in contemplation with your higher self. For me, it's, you know, I am in vibrational alignment with truth. So mm. when I've taken information or an idea or have an experience, I really pay attention to how it feels in my body because my higher self is alerting me of something in some form or fashion all the time. So, you know, right. being able to not only parse the information yourself, but then truly listening to yourself in a deeper way. And I feel like so many mm. people are just on autopilot anymore, just consumption zombies yeah these are the skills we need to be teaching in schools hey Mm. like this is this this is proper life mastery and this is i've similarly uh you know again i engage in a lot of meditation a lot of contemplative practices and i feel really grateful that i was that i was exposed to all of this because most people aren't they're just on autopilot well and i had to go seeking those things out and Mm -hmm. you know i have four sisters One of them is also a seeker like me. And, you know, we've done this thing together for decades. And it feels really good to have a tribe that's doing it with you because it does feel very vulnerable being alone Mm. in an idea. I mean, shit, I'm a Texan living in California and I am not vaccinated. I'm not against vaccinations. All of the homework that I've done and testing out what was right for me and the pros and cons of things, it's not for me to get this COVID vaccination. And that really upset a lot of people. Mm. And, you know, it kind of feels lonely being like, uh, 
I'm okay with you doing you in whatever way. Like I own me, you own you. And let's just explore the world together. But don't be trying to steer my ship. So, and I feel like that's a lot of the issue with misinformation is people trying to steer other people's ships. Yeah, interesting. So I am vaccinated um, and have no problem with, you know, people choosing not to be vaccinated. I think there are all sorts of decisions we need to make as societies about how to navigate this pandemic. And I don't, I'm not uh, envious in any way of people having to make decisions for mass, you know, in governmental positions or large corporations during this period, because I think it's very complex. I do think that a lot of the kind of like, I don't know if it's creation of misinformation or passing on of misinformation um, ends up happening so that people can feel better about the decisions that they made for themselves of their own bodies. And it's something which seems to be so outward and so, you know, about getting in your shit is actually about themselves and their own shit and about feeling comfortable with their own decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, yes, because it's like, wait a minute, I made a different decision than you. And I, I want to feel good about my decision. So instead right, so of just... one of us has got to be wrong and I pick you. Yes. Instead of just <laughs> right. like, I, in my gut, I know I made the best decision for me and I know that you made the best decision for you and we can be yeah. in community. We live in a world where there's got to be a winner and there's got to be a loser. Period. Yeah. It's so bizarre. I well, feel like it's changing. I don't know if you feel like this. I feel like there's a shift happening. Oh, there's definitely a shift, but I think that's because people are now starting to seek more. People are Mm, starting to look more. It's like, okay, things are getting weird. We're offering, you know, free cheeseburgers and joints for a vaccination. Never has happened in the history of the world. Why is this going on? You know, and people are getting online and hopefully they're finding good sites with good information like canigma.com is for cannabis. But we don't know because the truth is now become debatable. Yeah. I mean, I'm a really big fan of the internet. My entire career has been based on the internet. I spend a lot of my life on the internet, but the internet is very problematic when it comes to this (laughs) issue of misinformation. Um, And I think that uh, in one way, it's really empowering um, for us regular people to be able to Google whatever we want and get access to all the information in the world, quote unquote, right there in front of us. But the problem is, do we really know how to analyze that information properly? Um, So if we're to kind of, you mentioned Kenigma, so I'll use that as an example. Really, anyone who's interested in cannabis research, treatment, use, whatever it is, pros, cons, could go on to PubMed and look at all of the thousands of studies that are available and get all of the information that the Conigma is basically based on. They could get it all themselves. But the problem is most people don't know how to read scientific studies. And that's fine because most people do not need to know how to read scientific studies. But they need to be kind of translated, and that's really what we do, into into lay language. And they need to be translated by people who have the expertise and the experience to be able to do that, to be able to look at a study and, for example, say this is a bad study. This, uh, you know, this doesn't have an appropriate sample size. The findings of this study were basically like more research is needed. We don't know anything. Uh, this needs to be put together in context of a full body of evidence. Um, there are a whole lot of different things that can um, kind of taint the what we can take from the findings of a study. And I, I really believe, and I think this is true for the you know the vaccinations issue as well, um, that we need to be careful about what what what. Um, 
what information we're consuming online and what the sources are because uh, a lot of it has been badly translated um that there are like news reports or actual news reports without the quotation marks um that have just been written by someone that that hasn't had their facts checked or hasn't had that kind of like what extra layer of of review uh which makes it you know appropriate to be passed on to to the regular person on the street well and i will also layer on to that you know who's funding the study because mm. i think we can all agree that money greed is the most powerful drug of all and yeah. you know the fda has been hijacked by big pharma so you know when we are talking about something being fda approved things get really muddied up when it comes to the funding. So things that I find, I want to follow it back to what is the actual root source of this information? Who paid for mm. it? Yeah, well, funding is a huge issue when it comes to cannabis research. There's just like no way. I, hopefully we'll get there one day, but there's no way at this point that cannabis can compete with the amount of research that's being funded by Big Pharma, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. Well, and it's you know, but they're issue. an issue for researchers that they have to spend so much of their time just searching for funding for the research that they want to do for the incredibly important research that needs to be done rather than getting in the lab yeah. and doing what they do best. Well, and there are people that are getting creative in the space, like the Hellman Valley Growers Company. They are funding research, working with veterans, but they are doing it with the proceeds that they make from selling an adult use cannabis brand product line, then they're able to take those profits and turn it into research. And so, you know, those are the people where I'm like, okay, I'm listening to you. You know, I, yeah. I'm listening to you. I, I see who you are and I see what you're doing. So, you know, the transparency piece is huge as well. Absolutely. You being in Israel, which is the hub of cannabis research, um, I'm sure you have an amazing array of doctors that you work with, but I feel like, you know, the U.S. is more who's absorbing all of your content and information. So you kind of have yeah, the best definitely. of both worlds. Yeah, and I like to think so. So we've got like the, the, the chunk of our audience, like you said, is coming from North America. About 70% of our audience um, is from North America. And obviously the, the majority of that is from uh, the United States. We do, however, have readers from uh, Europe. We have a German site and a Spanish site. So we have a, a, a lot of readers coming from there and also from Brazil. We have a Portuguese site. Um, so a bit spread out there. And a lot of the content is being created here in Israel. We do take advantage of um, the, the vibrant uh, research and, and, and also uh, like clinical uh, experience um, that, that we can kind of draw from here. Um, we have a number of different researchers and research institutes um, that we reach out to for comment and, uh, and review very often. But at this point, we don't create content in Hebrew. Might change soon. We're, we, we have a list of languages that we're tackling next and we're kind of trying to decide where, uh, you know, what comes next at this point. But we do have some readers that are reading in English from Israel. So that's nice as well. Okay. Out of all of the different countries that you're touching through your work, where is the biggest misinformation problem? Like, where do you have the most work to do? It's hmm. a good question. Well, it's everywhere, honestly. I don't think there's anywhere that's more. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to say the United States, but that's just because a lot of our focus is what's going on in the U.S. and because there's so much 
amazing progress going on in the industry when it when it comes to this space. So there's, there's kind of like a nice balance there. Um, it feels to me that in in my experience, I see this lifting of the stigma kind of happening in phases. So you can track that around the time that a medical cannabis program is is approved in any particular jurisdiction, you'll see the public opinion starts to change with it. And it's kind of like I see it as, as a progress that there's like cannabis is evil and then there's, oh, cannabis can be used in some very distinct situations and then it's okay, generally like the terminally ill, for example. And then there's like, oh, actually, yeah, cannabis is a medicine. It has some applications, but that's it. It shouldn't be used for anything other than that. And then we start to get generally like a good few years after a cannabis, a, a medical cannabis program has been properly rolled out and all of these stories start kind of filtering out and slowly people start to meet real normal live people that are using cannabis for, for medicinal purposes and see that, you know, it's something that, you know, they can tolerate and they can get their heads around and they can start to kind of change their opinion like we were talking about earlier and only then do we get to a point where the stigma has lifted enough that it can be seen like you know a glass of wine and i think there's it's really limited the places where we've gone to, i mean probably you're living in 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 one of the few examples um of places where where that stigma is really it's not gone obviously it's still there but it's starting to lift and i think when it comes to misinformation you'll generally see like something of the same pattern there's a period of time that that we need to see these regulatory changes and these like societal opinion changes um, happening at the same time as, as changes in the media coverage. And I think you know that, that that's what we're talking about when, when we talk about misinformation a lot of the time. There's 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 conversations that happen, but really I think it comes down to what's going on in the media. Well, certainly, and you know the media is basically like six voices that own all of the other networks. They own a lot of the advertisers. Mm. We are being programmed by the media. And, you know, one of the biggest advertisers is the pharmaceutical industry. And mm. they can't speed the tape up fast enough to get through half of the side effects on the disclaimers. And they still get to advertise it and put it out there. The FDA and the media and all these organizations that we used to count on They've all been hijacked and we can't necessarily trust them. Um, and I really think it requires us then to become even more curious and become even better communicators, like mm. being able to ask somebody, where did you see that? Will you share that with me? Why do you feel that way? Just like getting way more curious about our differences than about finding your tribe that only thinks the way you do. And again, that's on each of us as individuals. And then that starts building in communities. But until we're willing to do that, again, like I said, zombies consuming content. And you really start to see like, oh, there's a twinkle in their eye. I think I could actually have a conversation with this person or yeah. they're completely glazed over. There's not a snowball's chance in hell that I'm getting through. I'm saving my breath. Yeah, I feel like there's something about it's it's, it's uh, funny that you mentioned that because I wanted to add in as well openness. I think this is crucial. Um, that if we're going to be curious and we're going to be kind of critical of what's going on around us, we also need to be open to different opinions. Um, and and I think in my experience, you know, you mentioned before um, that I'm from Australia. I was just visiting Australia, um, and you just got back a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so it. it 
the aim was to go to Australia because there was no COVID in Australia and it's been this like, you know, magical little bubble all this time. So we've been trying to get back to visit my family over there for about a year and a half. It's very difficult to get into Australia at the moment. They completely closed down the borders. They're only letting Australians in. Anyway, so we made it over. We were doing our two-week hotel mandatory jail time, whatever. We don't need to get into that. Um, and during that time, the Sydney went into lockdown. Um, and so we spent the entire time, the entire two months that we were in Australia actually in lockdown. Um, and one of the things I noticed there was it was kind of like we were visitors from the future because, you know, we, we've like, like the United States have gone through this whole pandemic nightmare of the past year and a half and really felt it really like rolling lockdowns here, huge numbers, um, the, the whole vaccination debate and, and uh, rollout here in Israel um, has been huge. And it felt like Australia was kind of like, Back in April 2020, it was like the first big outbreak and, and all of the conversations were happening were conversations that I was like, wait, guys, didn't we do this? We already like catch up. We're... Yeah. And something that I noticed was the anxiety and the stress that everyone around me was going through. And I was like, it's not, it's not like I'm flippant about this. I'm, I'm very careful to act in a responsible way. But I did kind of feel like it wasn't, like the situation was not stressing me out in the same way as it was stressing the people out around me. And it, and it was like I could see the impact on their nervous systems. It was like they were so flooded with such scary information that it was being uh, handed down to them in these like daily briefings at 11 o'clock. Everyone was waiting to hear what the numbers were every day and if there were new restrictions. And, and I could see that people were just closing up to being able to have any of these sorts of open conversations about it because they were just terrified. And so I think that's another really important point of, of how to live in this age of information is being able to regulate our own nervous systems um, when we're faced with disturbing information and we're faced with disturbing information all the time. But if we're not aware of our own reactions to it, then I think we're going to end up probably believing things that we shouldn't and yeah, generally not educating ourselves to the level that we could if we were able to kind of wade through all of this more calmly. And the, the way the information gets delivered to us, there's mm. one way to hand out some facts, but there's another way to weave a story of fear and doom and death and destruction. And, you know, my sister, she's a consciousness coach, and she would always tell me if somebody is trying to scare you, they're trying to control you. They're trying to mm. manipulate you in some way. So just keep that in your head. When somebody's coming at you with scary shit, like what is, what's their motivation? What are they trying to get you to do? And the lockdown things, it's like stay in your house, keep your door shut, stay away, keep everybody separated. And when you aren't having those dialogues, when you aren't talking to other people, what's going on in your community? We just count on what we're hearing and seeing on the news and they only show the scary shit. Yeah. I got a degree in broadcast journalism and then ran as far away from that industry as humanly possible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no. So I, worked in, I worked in hard news for five years. I worked for the Jerusalem Post for five years and I loved it. I really, and, and I, it's a very interesting place to work in hard news in the Middle East, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, um, and there's something very addictive about it. 
Um, and I found myself for years, actually, I went straight from working at the Jerusalem Post. I, I went over to helping up to build a, a platform that's also based here in Israel called goodnet.org, um, which, as you can tell from the name, is like the opposite of the Jerusalem Post. It's all good news and, and uh, self-development and environmental news and and really the good hopeful news yeah Um, yeah yeah very positive and I and yet and it was so nourishing um to be able to be in that sort of work to be still kind of digging into the truth and trying to tell the good story but purposely doing it from from a positive place but I really missed the energy of the newsroom you know of like there's nothing like covering an election from a newsroom or covering a war from a newsroom or covering a war from home because it's the first war that's broken out in this area and you don't know if you're safe to be sitting in the newsroom like it, there, there's a I think an adrenal response there which we get addicted to and I think so so that's from like inside the news but I think as consumers, it's the same thing. It's addictive and, 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 and we need to be able to uh, learn how to see what's working for us, what's serving us and what's not. And there was like a lot of times I found myself saying back, you know, get, getting back to when I was in Australia, just like don't turn on the news at 11. There's just yeah. absolutely no reason to know <laughs> how many people tested positive yesterday. If you're following the restrictions, someone will let you know if the lockdown's over, I'm sure. Maybe check the news if you want once a day, but like there's no need to watch that fear show at 11 if it's stressing you out so much. I'm now living on a farm. I was in downtown Oakland and I was in the middle of that high stress. I knew exactly what you were talking about, like that feeling. As soon as I moved here away from everybody, the nearest town is a one horse town with the post office closes at 430. The stress. Lucky you've got internet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like my stress level just got chopped in half just by changing my geographic location. So there is something to be said about turning off the news, spending more time in nature and trying to identify the bird sounds instead of reading all of the latest memes of COVID and death and destruction and all this, all of the things like that piece of it for me, it was huge. Just cutting it off. Yeah, absolutely. Or, Or like using it mindfully, you know, this is what I try and do. I think there've been a lot of silver linings to this whole pandemic. Um, to, to me, there's been a, a kind of like slowing down in the pace of life, which I think we really needed. And I'm and I, i trying the best I can to keep that in my life. And I really hope that, you know, we as a, as a global community are able to do that as well. Because there's a lot to learn from this period. There's a lot of like unnecessary running around and noise, but we got to uh, make these choices mindfully. The same as with the media consumption. Well, and contrast is always here to teach us. That's a, mm. the whole point of contrast is for us to to learn a lesson. Um, when I was moving back from Italy to the United States, one of the mental notes for myself was to try to bring that slow methodology of life back with me. And I was able to do that for a while. And then, you know, you're building a business and a business in the cannabis space in California. And then, you know, all bets are off. And so mm-hmm. now I am trying to reinstate that and just keep it slow, you know, not kill myself every day trying to be up at five. And it's one of the best things that we can do for ourselves. Um, yeah. And pasta and wine, I think a good lesson oh. to bring back from Italy as well. <laughs> I make one mean pasta bolognese. If you're ever here, I will treat you to some. Good. But, you know, one thing that I do want to say going back to misinformation 
And there's a book that I'm reading right now by an author named Tokopah Turner. Mm-hmm. And she wrote Belonging, Remembering Ourselves Home. And mm-hmm. uh, she was in the middle of having a terrible injury where she couldn't, she had injured her feet. And so she started working on a genealogy research project. She didn't know a lot of people in her family. And she was trying to see if she could find connection with her Jewish heritage on one side of the family. And she discovered this community where her family members had been in a concentration camp. But the town had almost completely removed all of the history that there was ever a concentration camp there. And so it was finding some records that just hadn't been burned, that were still in a basement, in a box, that hadn't been opened for years and years and years. But this idea that history can be deleted if we aren't vigilant and mindful about making sure that the truth stays apparent and we bring truth to the surface. People roll their eyes and, you know, they think I'm a little over the top in my vigilance in being this way. But, you know, this is something that we have to constantly be seeking the truth. If you know something is not right or you hear people saying things about your cannabis lifestyle or the way you use it and you have the evidence like speak up use your voice share your information like don't let things that are important be lost in history and you know her story that to me was something that has nothing to do with the pandemic or anything else it was just me reading somebody else's book and seeing evidence that that stuff does happen, that history can be deleted. Yeah, it, it can. It absolutely Holocaust can. Is a real issue. Three out of my four grandparents were Holocaust survivors. I, I grew up, you know, hearing these stories firsthand and seeing the impact firsthand. And like, you know, this is like my grandfather was one of nine children. Two of them survived the Holocaust. Um, and so the, the the idea of that truth being denied is. Uh, very painful. And I think it comes down to something that you said earlier about remembering that anyone who tells you something has their own interest behind it. Um, and I think generally these these stories about particular areas uh, destroying evidence of what happened there was uh, generally in occupied areas during like in Poland, for example, where they just wanted to be able to go on with their lives afterwards and not have to be always the place where there was a mass grave or where there was, uh, you know, a, a concentration camp or a death camp. That and so, well, and the reason they did it was because they wanted to have their own peaceful community their way. But you don't yeah. think about the long-term implications of making these little white lies or covering up small little truths. That stuff yeah. adds up. And so we have to be diligent about the truth and about yeah. ending the misinformation wars. Absolutely. You know, I want to kind of like zoom in a little bit on, on, on something that you said before, which is, you know, if something's working for you, uh, share it and share your story. And I think there are like these these little pieces of information about cannabis that if we were able to uh, achieve our mission of, get, of getting these these simple facts about cannabis 
to be more widely understood, I think people would be better able to handle this misinformation. So I'll give an example. Um, one is that no one has ever died of a cannabis overdose. There's never been a documented case of a cannabis overdose. And this is something that I think uh, most people are pretty surprised to learn. Um, but it's something that completely contextualizes cannabis use and cannabis treatment. That if you think about it, like, okay, this is a treatment that might not be right and might even have horrible side effects, let's say, but it's not going to kill me as compared to opioids, for example. And then you're able to pull apart this information and start making better decisions with that one fact. Then if you're able to add to that something like understanding that dosing is very important when it comes to cannabis, that sometimes a small dose can have the exact opposite effect from, from a large dose. So, for example, um, if we think about um, GI effects. So at a small dose, cannabis can be calming on the stomach and, and, and can help um, calm nausea or maybe even completely uh, get rid of nausea, whereas at a high dose, it can have you throwing up and feeling very sick and like greening out, as we used to call it in Australia. And that's the same substance, but it's just a matter of dosing. And this, like, it is something really we know that like one glass of wine, good, three bottles of wine, maybe not the best idea. It's something we know. But it's these, these simple little pieces of information which can help someone to understand, okay, so I tried cannabis once in college and like whatever, I didn't like it. And now 40 years later, it's being suggested to me as a treatment. I know that it's safe. And I know I'm going to need to be really careful with my dosage here. So I'm going to start off with one hit, put the joint down, give it a half an hour, see how I go and move forward. So just with those two kind of little pieces of information, there's so much crap that we can be exposed to, which I can know straight away, like, oh, okay, that's not necessarily true. So like if someone tells you, oh, I don't know, my, my, my friend used cannabis and she ended up in hospital for three weeks for it, you say, not sure <laughs> if that's really the case. And I think just with that little... Um, you know, that layer of critical thinking that a couple of good facts can do, it can completely change the way people react to any sort of misinformation or, or information indeed, mm -hmm. that they're faced with. Um, yes. So I think that's like the, the um, there are a lot of different medicines here for misinformation mm -hmm. and one of them is just education, just facts. Yes. And making that information digestible. So, you know, mm -hmm. us talking about um, the dosage, that's one of the things that's so confusing. And so, you know, when you and I were having a chat before, um, we were talking about the classification system that is making it easier to choose your dose. And so you had told me that there are three types of cannabis classifications that they're trying to set up that will be universal. And then with a fourth one, I think, coming up too with the CBG. So yeah, there's five. So let's actually, talk about it. But the main, the, the main three, as you said, are type one, type two, type three. And this is a, a classification system which aims to make distinguishing different cannabis products Easier, I suppose, but also more accurate um, is super important. So I'm going to take a few steps back. We were talking before about uh, what happened during the period of prohibition. One of the things that happened is that cannabis culture continued. It wasn't that people stopped using cannabis. It's just that it wasn't legal. So we had to start uh, kind of like we as cannabis culture, as like underground cannabis culture, made our own classification system and indica sativa was what it ended up being. So like, great, we've got, we've got the daytime weed and we've got the nighttime weed. Now, 
I don't want to, you know, upset anyone out there, but this is complete bullshit. Like the morphological elements of a plant do not dictate what effects it's going to have. So whilst there may have once been, I mean, there were once distinctly indicant sativa plants, pretty much everything you come across this day, these days is a hybrid anyway. And really what impacts the effect that a cannabis flower or cannabis product is going to have on you is the chemical makeup of that particular product that you have. Um, so... With that information, we, we end up with something that's very complex, that it's like, okay, unless you know exactly what the therapeutic properties of every cannabinoid and every terpene are, for starters, you're not going to be able to glance at the label of the cannabis product and know like, oh, okay, this is going to make me feel X or this is going to, you know, treat this symptom or condition. Um, so, so what we're kind of aiming towards is, is a categorization system which can get closer to that, which can help you understand. And I, I, I like to use examples either from pharmaceuticals or from kind of alcohol or, or nutritional supplements because it's, it's concepts that we're all familiar with. Um, but you're going to know, is this a bottle of wine or is this a bottle of vodka? This is something that's really important <laughs> um, for people to be able to understand when they're buying a product. Imagine if, like, and of course this did happen during alcohol <laughs> prohibition, imagine if you, like, didn't know it, like, this is just a glass of alcohol, we'll see what happens. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, so type 1, type 2, type 3 is one way to do this. Um, and I think it's also a way to start bringing in this understanding. So those, those two facts that I mentioned before, that cannabis is a safe medication and that uh, the dose is important, I would add to that there are different types of cannabis. And I think this is a simple fact that most people don't know, that they think, oh, I tried cannabis and I know what cannabis does to me. Well, like, no, you tried one particular plant, perhaps. And you don't really know anything more than that. So the types. Type 1 is high THC cannabis. This is the majority of cannabis that most people would come across in the dispensary or in the illicit market. Um, this is the majority. This is this is what, uh, I don't know, what the industry has been based Adult on. Adult use but popular, yes. Yeah, definitely. But type 2 and 3 are also rising in popularity. Type 2 is uh, balanced. So balanced levels of THC and CBD, not exactly one-to-one -one necessarily, but somewhere where it's kind of like, almost the same amounts. And then type three is CBD dominant. Um, so generally speaking, it's gonna be higher and CBD and then lower amounts of THC and other cannabinoids, um, but CBD dominant, definitely. Um, and then like I mentioned, there's also type four and type five, but those are, are, are less kind of talked about now. CBG, as you mentioned, is type four. And then type five is actually uh, cannabis plants with zero cannabinoids created generally for the use of the fiber. Um, so, oh, okay. so not kind of hemp as we know it today, but yeah, so, so uh, zero or trace levels of cannabinoids. So type one, two and three are what you, you know, are finding these products in dispensaries these days. So by having the classification system, it just makes it easier for somebody for labeling or, you know, trying to just get some sort of a system in place. So, you know, when you go in and you're looking at different products that are made from different brands, manufacturers, you have to really look at the label for a while to be like, okay, where is all the information? How are they laying mm -hmm. their stuff out? And granted, over the course of the last six or seven years, I've seen that get better and better and better. Someone like me, I use CBD and CBG in the mornings. I wake, bake, meditate and move energy. So I'm using THC very quickly after that, you know, use THC during the day to manage my symptoms of anxiety and my creative needs, all of the things. 
But then at mm-hmm. night, I use CBD and CBN to go to bed. And I have the luxury of being able to pick and choose the cannabinoids I want to use and how I want to use them, whether or not that's a soft gel or a flower or a vape or a sublingual or a patch. And a lot of people don't have that. And so I get that having a system like this just makes it easier for everyone to be able to shop and make everyone be able to um, feel more like an expert instead of a curious journeyman in a strange new place (laughs) for the very first time. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you're definitely spoiled for choice where you're living. Most people do not have access. I think another um, way that these classifications can be really useful is for uh, first-time patients. Um, and for their their medical providers to be able to give them some guidance and tell them that when you go into the dispensary, you want to ask them, do they have a balanced product that you can start on? Generally speaking, um, it makes more sense to start um, patients on a type three, or a type two, or a type three product. Um, and this is just something that they're going to be able to know. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna talk to the bartender or if there's a pharmacist in the dispensary, whatever it is, and I'm gonna say, okay, this is what I'm looking for, and they're gonna be able to take it and roll from there. It's a a language that that makes that um, sometimes very confusing process of choosing a product just that little bit simpler. But it also I think is educational just in its existence, like just the fact that there are different types and we can categorize them like this. And it's not just that there are cannabis products of all different sorts. They do fit into these categories. Um, I think it really helps the the newbies, um, Mm -hmm. start getting into their cannabis journey and like ups the chances that they'll be able to be compliant with this treatment. So I'm looking in the chat. There's someone insane in the membrane, insane in the brain. Very nice, mm-hmm. long name. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's talking things that we know about where the high comes from and stuff. But he mentions the THCA. And, you know, for someone who grows at home, uh, being able to, when you're big leafing your plant or when you have those little popcorn nugs that aren't, you know, you're wanting to push other places, taking those things off, putting that stuff in a smoothie is, first of all, it tastes excellent. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it really adds a nice, fresh taste. But you get all of those benefits of the THC without that psychoactivity. Um, And I think that that is part of the complication of the education is that all of these different cannabinoids are so nuanced and it's like, now, if you can take this and if you eat it raw, you won't get high. But if you heat it up, you're in big trouble, mister. You know, it's just like so, <laughs> it's so much. So yeah, yep. kind of dumbing it down at first, you know, the connoisseur may roll their eyes, but it's a necessary step in moving yeah. to a world of full, open acceptance, legalization, all of the above. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I also think that it's really important that when, when people are looking to use cannabis um, for medicinal purposes, for, for treating serious conditions, that they find the right people to talk to to kind of help guide them through this process. And that's a lot of what we're trying to build on the Conigma um, at the moment. We've kind of like translated the body of evidence and we're obviously constantly doing that for about 80 conditions at this point. And what we're doing, what we're working on at the moment that it's kind of still cooking is interactive elements where people are going to be able to go in and just 
put in a few details about themselves and what they're looking for and get recommendations on products. So for example, your age, where you're living, uh, that you're looking to treat anxiety and that you don't want to smoke or vape. And then you'll be able to get some recommendations there. And it's not that this is necessarily the best product for you, um, but it is like the idea is that we want to be able to narrow down the the trial and error process because it Mm -hmm. can be a pretty long process. Um, finding the right product and if you're just in it for like fun and um, wellness then that's great and you've probably got a little bit more patience about it and 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 you can be more I don't know casual and 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 relaxed about the the process but if you're looking uh, to treat maybe a parent or a child it's a really good idea to speak to you know a cannabis coach or consultant um, that can can put you in the right direction and not you know, necessarily dumb it down, like you said, but like give you the relevant information on the compounds that you should be looking for. We're coming up on an hour. So I'm going to kind of start rounding this out. You know, there is so much power in finding good information that, you know, someone who is constantly upping their game, checking themselves, doing continuing education, you know, everyone that is in cannabis, none of us are experts. We're all on the front end of a long learning curve that will continue. And the more funding that we can get for cannabis research in whatever interesting, creative ways we can do it until federal legalization happens, we need to try to support those things. So if, you know, if you see someone like I'd mentioned earlier, HVGC, Hellman Valley Growers Company, when you see organizations that are doing really good things that have educational branches, see what you can do to support them, even if it's just buying their pre-rolls. I mean, you get high, they make money to help research for veterans. So win-win. Yes. So whatever we can do as individuals to get involved in making sure that good, solid information is bubbling to the surface, the better. And I appreciate what you've done with Canigma.com and and look forward to seeing what else comes out from that. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for having me on. And if anyone wants to see what we're doing, like uh, Joe said, Canigma.com, you can sign up to the newsletter, find us everywhere on social media and get some good information into your feeds there. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that would leave a big gaping hole in this conversation? I think we did pretty good. All right. Well, thank you for your time. I know it's late for you. Thanks for extending your day to chat with us. It's all good. It was a pleasure. I hope this discussion on misinformation inspires you to improve your media literacy and to open your mind to different opinions and perspectives. Whatever you do, please don't be a consumption zombie outsourcing your critical thinking. Gather the info, consume it in full, sit in meditation or contemplation or do more homework, and then decide what you think. Be your own central processing unit and don't underestimate the power of basic facts to combat misinformation. Canigma.com is an excellent resource for fundamental truths about cannabis and building your knowledge base about the plant. And if you're looking for a guide you can trust, I'm now offering my cannabis lifestyle coaching on a sliding payment scale. I believe in the power of reciprocity and the importance of sharing our gifts with each other. 
If you'd like to schedule time with me, head over to casuallybaked.com and click the gray schedule appointment button at the top of the page. I am delighted to be on this journey with you, and I want to help build your can of confidence in ways that are meaningful for you. So keep emailing your can of curious questions through the website at casuallybaked.com or DM me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and the WeedTube. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, become a podcast patron for $5 per month at patreon.com backslash casually baked. Life's a team sport and we're in this together. So thanks for doing your part to Puff Puff Pass It On. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.